If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, and welcome to our eighth and final week of our Galatians series, what we have called the freedom in the in-between, because we have freedom um, in the in-between time between Christ's first coming and second coming. We also have freedom, and we've been looking at this in-between uh, a series in Romans that we're going to get back to next week. But on week one of this series, I mentioned the 20-foot-tall statue known as the Freedom Lady that sits atop the United States uh, Capitol building. She was sculpted by Italian artists um, in the city of Rome and shipped across the Atlantic Ocean um, to her perch in D.C. But during the delivery, the ship carrying the statue encountered a fierce storm, howling winds, huge waves threatened to capsize the ship, so the skipper ordered the cargo to be thrown overboard. But when the men went to toss the freedom lady over, the captain shouted, No, never. We'll sink before we throw freedom away. And this is the message of the book of Galatians. May we never throw our freedom away. And what beautiful, amazing freedoms that we have. We have seen the freedom brought to us by grace through faith. We've rejoiced in the freedom that we have in Christ. We've seen our freedom as sons of God, meaning heirs. We've seen the freedom we have to grow, to run, to live, as we saw last week, in the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit. We are free in so many ways, so may we never throw away our freedom. And this morning we come to our last in this series, the freedom to love, where Paul places us within a body, within a family, within a household of believers, as he calls it, ultimately showing us that God did not make us and save us for isolation. We are made and saved and designed for community. We're designed to be together. We're designed to live life together. Even when some in the room or some at home desire isolation more than that, God made us for community. God made us to need one another. So I want us to turn to the word today and to the freedom that we have to love. And let's finish our time together well. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Galatians 6, the chapter. And it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So in case you don't know what that means, it means Paul is writing this like all caps. Uh, He wants us to um, have attention, give attention here. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For every, or for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for us being able to be back together. Thank you for what we have together. And Lord, just speak to us today by your word, through your spirit, and help us, Lord, to see the freedom that we have to love. And to see the many facets of what that means today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So this morning, I would like us to think back, kind of in the beginning, to think back to a drowning that took place in August of 1985. What makes this drowning so unusual is that this drowning took place in the presence of 200 lifeguards. So back in August 1985, 200 lifeguards with the New Orleans Recreation Department had come together for a celebration. Get this, they were celebrating that they had the first summer in memory that there had not been a single drowning at any of the city pools. As they were celebrating, a 31-year-old man drowned in the very pool where the celebration was taking place. According to the story in the New York Times, the body was found on the bottom of the deep end of the pool as the party ended. And as we try to learn something from this tragic story, I I would simply ask this question to us this morning. Could it be possible for one of us to drown in sin right in the middle of the Lord's church without it even being noticed? And the unfortunate answer to, to that is not only is it possible, it's happening. It's, it's happening. We come together. We celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. We celebrate the rescue that we have all the while, if we're not careful, ignoring those within our own faith family that are currently going under. Some of them, their heads have gone under for the first time. And they'll, they'll come up again, but they'll keep going under some Their heads are going under for the last time. And oftentimes, let me just say something, and here's where my mind went this week. Oftentimes, we are more concerned with our pets than we are members of the church of Christ. And what I mean by that is this. I remember a day that we lost our Dotson, Toby. Um, We had two Dotsons. One was fat. He would always dig holes. He couldn't get underneath them, but he was like, to the other dog, here. So Toby would get under the fence. And so we came home one day, one dog in the yard, we couldn't find the other, found the hole. We walked our neighborhood 
countless times. Could not find them. It was a cold day in January. We, um, we put flyers on the community mailboxes. All these things. We didn't sleep well that night. We wondered what had happened to him. Was he okay? We were worried sick. Thankfully, the next day, someone had found him, taken him in, walked the neighborhood with him. We found him, got him back, and all was well. But think about this. We lose a pet, and what do we do? We immediately go looking for him, yet that is not the way we often act when a brother or sister leaves the fold. Oftentimes, we sit back, and whether we say it out loud, the attitude is all over our face. It's not my problem. Or I knew they would act this way. Or I'm the one doing the things I'm supposed to do. Listen, but if we take an attitude of it's not my problem, let me tell you what we're doing. We're living contrary to the command of Christ and living contrary to the heart of Christ. What if Christ would have said, oh, they've all gone astray. They're not my problem. And instead, he came to us. He came looking for us. Therefore, I want to lay before us today four truths related to our calling to love. And we're going to see that it goes deeper than just loving one another, but that is where we're going to start. So number one today, we are loving others gently. We're loving others gently. Look at verses one and two again. And I want to break this down as we walk through it. Paul begins by saying this, brothers, so we have been Christians. We've been adopted by God. That means we have been given a place in a new family. We are the household of God. And with any healthy family, we now have the privilege of being able to care for one another and experience each other's care for us. We're also able to grow and to mature in the body of Christ so that we're not easily cast aside. Somebody's going to come and get us. And like the call to personal godliness, God's command to be a sharer of the Christian community is not a burden for us. It's a gift that God has given to us. It's an expression of God's grace. So when believers choose not to be connected to church community, they're rejecting a gift that God has given to them. But then Paul continues, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so any transgression, caught in any sin, you who are spiritual. Now let's stop there. Paul is not speaking to some elite group of Christians. What Paul is saying is, I just talked about a chapter earlier. Those who are in the Spirit, are filled with the Spirit, are bearing fruit of the Spirit. So Paul is, what he's saying is this, anyone who is Controlled by the Spirit, dwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. You're the ones who are spiritual. And so Paul says, anyone caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him. The word restore here is a term used, get this, for setting a dislocated bone back into place. Now, I will never forget the night that Misty dislocated her kneecap. She started screaming, and I was like, what is going on? I walk in, and her kneecap is facing west. And I'm like, she's like, put it back in, put it back in. So I grabbed her leg, and she started screaming. And I stepped back. I hit the couch. I almost passed out. And I, I said, I got I to sit down. I got, so she's screaming. And I'm like, I got to sit down. And so finally I called 911. The kneecap went back into place and I, like I did it. So anyway, uh, but putting, uh, that's not an easy thing. It's not a fun thing. Thing. A dislocated bone is extremely 
painful because it's not in its original designed relationship to the other parts of the body. So to put a bone back in place is to inflict pain, but it's a healing pain. So sometimes we think, well, I don't want to get involved. And listen, we're called to restore even if it's painful. And then Paul says this, we restore in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is a word that appears multiple times throughout Paul's writing, but most referenced by the fruit of the Spirit. So gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. I think it would be easiest for me to explain this word by using an illustration. You can tell very quickly that your local developer isn't interested in restoring a broken down house when they send a wrecking ball to the property site. So their restoration is not the intended purpose here. It is destruction. So how does that relate to this passage? And here it is. All Christians, let me say this, all of us are still broken people. We are broken people, but God has foreordained that these broken people walk together with other broken people, and we restore each other in the process of walking together. We must not, please hear this, we must not, we cannot turn into wrecking balls of condemnation. We cannot turn into wrecking balls just trying to tear other people down when they don't do the things that we think they should. Let me just illustrate the utter ridiculousness of some of our attitudes and actions towards other believers with a somewhat silly idea. Can you imagine the ear making the following comment to the eye? Say, did you hear about the serious trouble the foot is having? Isn't it bad? I can't believe the foot can't get his act together. What's the foot thinking? No, that's not how the body behaves. Instead, when the foot is hurting, the entire body cries out, Ow! The entire body cries out in pain when one part hurts. And here's the point. Here's the point. That's the picture of how our human body responds. That should be a picture of how the spiritual body responds. When one part hurts, no matter what the reason, the restorative powers of the entire body should be brought to bear on the hurting member. Rather than attacking the suffering part, we should swarm to it. And we should do everything we can to bring healing in that particular way. This is how the body of Christ should function. Yet it's not the way it always does. I, I heard one, one writer put it this way. I've often thought that if I ever fall into a trespass, I will pray that I don't land in the hands of those fault-finding, critical, self-righteous judges in the church. Let me fall into the hands of barkeepers, street walkers, or dope peddlers because such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds. And that is a sad but sometimes true testimony to the behavior within the body of Christ. There's someone who says, if I'm caught in sin, I'd rather turn to somebody who understands than people who've forgotten what it was to be in sin. And many in the church, we act like, some reason, we act like God has saved us and now we're perfect. And God help us that we can't see the pride that's making us think that we're perfect when we mess up every single day just like the rest of the world that we live in. That should have gotten an amen, but hey, I'll amen myself. Amen, Micah, you're right. Oh, you're right. And yet Paul continues, 
bear with one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, we all have burdens that we are carrying. Maybe it's sin or temptations we're struggling with. Maybe it's physical struggles, illnesses, physical pain. Maybe it's emotional struggles, depression or worry, doubt, anxiety, confusion. Maybe it's family struggles, struggle with children, with parents, with a spouse. Maybe it's struggles at work or unemployment or financial struggles. It's all kind of different struggles that it could be. It's grief, pain, loss, or loneliness. It's all of the burdens that we bear represented across this room. And here's the deal. We can't lose sight of the fact that people who are sitting next to us or people who live next to us are carrying burdens. And the Bible says they are never intended to carry those burdens alone. That's what the Bible says declares during the 2016 olympic games in rio two runners in the women's 5,000 meter race were in the final four laps when they collided nikki hamlin from new zealand fell first causing abby uh, diagostino from the united states to also fall it would have been understandable if diagostino just got up and went around Hamblin and finished the race, but that's not what she did. Instead, she reached down and helped Hamblin up. Then for a time, they began to run together, and then the injured Diagostino fell again to the ground. And instead of keeping going, this time Hamblin stopped and helped her up. Both made it across the finish line. Although they didn't win the race, they finished the race. And afterwards, Hamlin said this, Suddenly, there's this hand on my shoulder and a voice that says, get up, get up. We have to finish this race. Hamlin went on to say, I, I'm never going to forget that moment. When someone asked me what happened in, the Rio, in Rio 20 years from now, that's my story. Someone help me up and help me finish. Is that our story? Is that our story? When we see others fall instead of knocking them down or instead of looking the other way help them up help them up so that they can finish the race as well perhaps in this moment you're wondering what should you do with your life maybe some of you in here you're on the back end of re retirement what should you do with your life here's a good daily mission be alert to the burdens that people are carrying and help them carry them it's a great way to live. Be alert. And let me just say this. Be devoted to making people's burdens lighter. Let me go a step further. The ministry of burden bearing is not just a suggestion. It's a command. And it's not reserved for pastors. Sometimes we act like it's the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. And that's not what the Bible says. It's my job to train you to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to train you to do it. And the, the thing is, we sit back and go, well, the pastor will do it. Think about this. I know we're not a large church, but if I carry the burdens of every single person by myself, I will be ineffective in anything else. Brothers and sisters, we have to carry each other's burdens. We have to learn what that means. Operating under the control of the Spirit, helping others carry 
the heavy burdens. That's what it means to be the church, loving others gently, going to those who are in sin, restoring them, helping people carry the burdens of their life. We're loving others gently, but then secondly, we are loving ourselves honestly. We're loving ourselves honestly, and this is where it gets kind of hard. Paul says in verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Then he says in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Wow, Paul, way to make me feel good about myself. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. And then Paul says, let each one test his own work. It's so easy to compare ourselves with one another, but to put our thoughts, to put our attitudes, to put our actions before the holiness of God and to bring every facet of our life before the holiness of God, we find ourselves to be needy people. We find ourselves to be sinful people. We find ourselves to be in need of God's grace and mercy. And as we find ourselves in need of it, we say, God, I need it. And he gives it to us. And then we're able to extend that grace and mercy to other people. When we see ourselves rightly before God, then we're free to see others rightly before God. Aesop said that every man carries two bags over his shoulder. With one bag hanging in back, he carries his sins. With the bag hanging in front, he carries his neighbor's sins. Then he says this, if we were more aware of our own sins, the sins of our neighbor would bother us less than they do. And that is so true. But we put our sins behind us and we put everybody else's sins in front of us instead of, as Jesus said, understanding the plank in our own eye, dealing with that before dealing with the speck in other people's eye. What we need to do is take the two bags, turn them around, and keep our sin before us. Keep our sin before us, and guess what? Other people's sins won't seem as big and as bad. Before we condemn and criticize others, think about your own sinful bags. You're not, let me, let me just give you the statement of the day, you're not as sinless as you think you are. You're not as sinless as you think you are. And that person who is right now in sin, they're not as bad as you think they are. They're not as bad as you think they are. Brothers and sisters, we need to love ourselves honest enough to say we are sinners in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness even this day. And we will be that tomorrow and the next day and the next day as long as God gives us. And then Paul says this in verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. Well, what does that mean? Paul just says, you help carry other people's loads. So what is Paul saying? We help bear other people's burdens, but our own as Christians, we got to carry those ourselves. No, that's not what he's saying. Now, some say what that does mean is that there are things, there are burdens that we will have to bear that no one else around us, it seems like they're having to bear them. And sometimes we look at other people and we go, well, why aren't they struggling the way I'm struggling? And sometimes it feels unfair. But what this really means when Paul says each one will have to bear his own load, what it means is this. One day you and I will stand before God and you will be able to blame nobody but yourself before God. You will have to give an account, not of somebody else, but of your own life before God. And in that moment, you will have to bear your own load. That's the point of what he's saying. So we're loving ourselves honestly. Third, we're loving holiness continually. We're loving holiness continually. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says this, in 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul is saying something that we know to be instinctively, intuitively true. That life is connected. Where you and I are today is a result of decisions we've made in the past. And where, we, where we'll be tomorrow is connected to what we do today and what we did yesterday. It's all connected. And we have to realize what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say, well, people reap what they sow unless they ask for forgiveness. No, we need to ask for forgiveness, but hear this. Forgiveness doesn't erase what we've sown. It doesn't erase. As a pastor, I run into people all the time, and they come to me and they say, well, pastor, I'm doing my best. And I say, well, that is so great that you're doing your best now. But for the last five years, you've been doing your worst for the last five years, you've been doing all that you can, not your best. And that was sowing. And now you're reaping from those years. Listen, doing your best now doesn't erase what you did yesterday. Doing your best now doesn't erase decisions and consequences that come from what you did six months ago. But according to Paul, the Christian, we only have two fields that we can sow in. Either the field of the flesh where we live to please ourselves in every way or the field of the spirit by which we live to please him. Only one leads to holiness. And it is desiring the spirit, walking in the spirit. And then in verse 9, Paul says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give And this verse indicates two important truths for us as children of God. First, a life of loving service is tiring. A life of service and loving service is tiring. We're going to be inclined to become weary in doing good because true love involves sacrifice. It involves patient endurance. None of us like sacrifice and none of us like patience we don't like it but that's what this life is we're called to do we who followed a crucified lord should expect nothing less and loving others is going to be tiring it's going to take things out of us and then second the encouragement that helps enable believers to continue despite the tiredness is the knowledge that we will reap a reward If we remain patient, if we do not give up, what we have here is a promise that our faith in Christ and any sacrifice that it might call us to will not be disappointed in the end. It will be worth it. Listen, we will all be tempted to grow weary in doing good. But according to Paul right here, there's only one thing that will stop you from reaping the harvest in due season. According to verse 9, there's only one thing that will stop you from reaping the harvest. Think about this. 
Satanic attacks cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. Heavy burdens cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. Difficult circumstances cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. Inadequate resources cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. Hostile people cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. Vicious lies cannot stop you from reaping the harvest. And personal failure cannot stop you. From reaping the harvest. Paul says here there's only one thing that stops you from reaping the harvest. Giving up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't throw in the towel on this God. You can throw in the towel on yourself all day long. You can't do it. I can't do it. But he can. He can. Don't throw in the towel on him. Don't give up on what he is doing in your life. Even though it's taking longer than you would like, you trust him. Don't grow weary. Do what he has called you to do. Even when it becomes monotonous, even when you don't see the results that you wish you would see, you don't grow weary in well-doing. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. We are loving holiness continually. And then lastly, we are loving the cross boastfully. We are loving the cross boastfully. In verse 12, Paul says, for the cross of Christ. In verse 14, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The book of Galatians has been called the crucifixion epistle. Not only because it directly mentions the cross or crucifixion some seven times, but because it shows the cross as being a sign of God's grace to us. The essence of boasting here is what we place our confidence in. It's what we choose to glorify. It's where our affections are directed towards and what we are satisfied in. It's the thing that we choose to admire and value. It's the thing that we proclaim and speak about. And for Paul, Paul says that is the cross. I boast in the cross. And to boast in the cross doesn't seem extremely bold to us, some 2,000 years removed from this time. You know, we live in a day where the, the cross is kind of glamorized. We wear it around our necks on a necklace. We put it in our homes for all to see. The cross is something that people don't really think much about, and they just see it, oh, it's a cross. But that's not how they treated the cross in the first century. In the first century, the cross was a horrible, horrific means of execution and torture designed, devised, and even refined by the Romans, not just to kill, but to humiliate and degrade someone. They would take a man and strip him and put him on a tree, put stakes in his hands and feet and hang him for everyone to walk by. And when people walked by, they would spit on him and they would curse him and mock him. The closest comparison that we have to this in our day would be either maybe the, the gas chamber or the electric chair. Imagine wearing an electric chair around your, your necklace or around your neck on a necklace and somebody, oh, what's that? It's just an electric chair. Like, how demented or dark are you is what people would think. But yet we wear crosses around our neck. And here's the deal. Boasting in the cross 
implies that we have placed our confidence in Christ for our salvation because the cross is the accomplishment of Christ, not our accomplishment. It's not what we have done. It's what he has done. And so we're called, according to Paul, to boast in the cross. So cross boasters rest everything in what Christ has done. Cross boasters rest in the fact that Christ has lived a life we could not live, a life of perfection. Christ died a death that we could not die, a death for the sins of the world. Boasting in the cross implies that God accepts you because of what Christ has done for you. You can say this, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God will never come upon me because it came upon him. Because of the cross, I'm united to Christ. Because of the cross, I'm dead to the world. I'm alive to him. Because of the cross, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we boast in the cross. We rejoice in the cross. We sing about the cross. We talk about the cross. We celebrate. We boast in it. I think of the words of John Piper, Pastor John Piper, who said, but for the cross, we deserve only death and condemnation from a holy God. But for the cross, God would not look on us and see the righteousness of Christ. But for the cross, the price for our sin would not have been paid and our redemption would not have been bought. And so it is that our hope in the glory of God arrives via the cross. Our joy and tribulation exists because of the cross. We boast in our weaknesses because it magnifies what the cross of Christ has accomplished that we could not. We take joy in the church because it is built upon the foundation of Christ crucified. Amen. And then Paul says this in verse 17. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And there were, there were five classes of people who were branded in this time. First were slaves, and they were branded as a mark of ownership. Second were soldiers, they were branded as a mark of allegiance. Third would be a disciple or a follower of a certain teacher would be branded as a mark of consecration to that teacher. Criminals would be branded as a mark of exposure, exposing what they had done. And then the, the outcast or the abhorred as a mark of reproach, would be branded. And so the, the marks that Paul is talking about here are all five of these in one. Paul was a slave to Christ. Paul was one who was a soldier of Christ. He was part of the army of the Lord. And we say that a lot, and you missed that today. It's the army of the Lord. You missed that one as well. I'm just here to be a blessing. But here's the deal. Let me say this. If we call ourselves the army of the Lord, here's the question for us. Are we advancing? Because if we're not advancing, then we're a terrible army. If we're not advancing, then we're not doing what God has called us. Um, Paul was that. He was a disciple of Christ. He was a criminal in the world that he lived in because he did not obey man. He obeyed God, and he was abhorred. He was disregarded. He was looked down upon. Yet Paul is saying, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And what Paul was saying is this. Remember who he's writing a letter to. The Judaizers had come in. They were saying, you have to trust Christ, but you have to also be circumcised. You have to have a mark on your body. And Paul is saying, I'm a Jew. I have that mark, but I have another mark that's worth even more. I have the marks of Jesus Christ on me. 
I have the marks of living for him, being persecuted for him. I have marks on me. If you're going to follow Jesus, brothers and sisters, you're going to bear some scars. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to bear some scars. Not all of us will be beaten. But listen, we'll have relationships end. We'll have people say things about us that aren't true. We'll have things that we don't like and don't feel good in the flesh. If we're going to follow Jesus, there will be scars that are going to happen in our lives. And then let's end, let's end today where Paul does. Look at verse 18. We're going to put it on the screen. Paul says this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And the beautiful thing here, don't miss this, is Paul begin, or ends with the same place that he began this letter with the grace of God. He, he began with the grace of God. He ends with the grace of God. But listen to what he says. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It matters whose grace it is. Listen, we can show grace on somebody, but our grace on somebody, someone won't save them. But his grace will save. Listen, grace is the thread that runs throughout this letter and it runs throughout the entire New Testament. Do we really understand how much need we have for the grace of God? When we wake up every morning, including this morning, we need His grace even to get out of bed. We need His grace. We need His grace to breathe, to walk, to talk. We need His grace to live out the commands of His Word, especially the commands to love one another. We need His grace to pray, to study the Word of God, to share with others moment by moment, day by day. We are in need of His grace. What do we need God's grace for? The correct answer is for everything. For everything, we need His grace. From the cradle to the grave, we are utterly, absolutely, entirely, always dependent on His grace. And through His grace, we love others. We love them enough to not let them slip away. We love them enough to not let sin reign in their lives. We love them enough to go to them and restore them. We love them enough to bear their burdens. Then we love ourselves enough to to ask God to show us the plank in our eye. To ask God to keep our sin before us. Not in a way that brings guilt and shame, but a way that reminds us what he has saved us from. Then we love holiness We sow in the field of the Spirit, wanting the holiness that only He can bring. And then we love Him. We love Him for the cross. We love Him for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we are free to love. He has freed us to love. May we love well. May we love well. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand if you're able. I'm going to call the... Musicians and Brother Frank Ford, as we enter into this time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, for this series that we've walked through, freedom that we have in you. We thank you for all that we do have, Lord. We thank you for freedom that we have to love and help us to love well because, Lord, you have loved us well. And Lord, your word tells us in Romans 5 that you are literally pouring out your love into our hearts through your spirit. So if we are connected to the Spirit, if we are indwelt by the Spirit, if we are 
yielding to the Spirit, we are having your love poured into our hearts and lives, which will enable us to have the love necessary to love others. Lord, help us to love others well. Help us to love ourselves well. By seeing ourselves, God, for who we really are. But also seeing ourselves for who you've made us. New creations in Christ. Help us to love holiness. To love, God, what you want to do in our lives through your spirit. And help us to love you and boast in what you have done for us. Finish this time. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.